I'm trying to come to the point. I refuse to give up my obsession. America, stop pushing. I know what I'm doing. America, the plum blossoms are falling. America, I haven't read the newspapers for months. Every day somebody goes on trial for murder. America, I feel sentimental about the wobblies. <laughs> America, I used to be a communist when I was a kid. I'm not sorry. <laughs> smoke marijuana every chance I get. <laughs> Only $2.27. I don't want to work. Maybe it's still looking for the job. I can't study anymore. I'll never teach for a living. I sit in my house for days on end without going out. When I go to Chinatown, I get drunk and never get laid. My mind is made up. There's going to be trouble. <laughs> You should have seen me reading Marx. <laughs> the American flag is absolutely meaningless to me still just as it was in the 30s. I won't say the Lord's Prayer. <laughs> I have mystical visions and cosmic vibrations. America, I still haven't told you what you did to Uncle Max after he came over from Russia. <laughs> I'm addressing you. Are you going to let your emotional life be run by Time magazine? <laughs> I'm obsessed by Time magazine. <laughs> I read it every week. Its cover stares at me every time I pass the corner of Northwest of Sutter Street and Montgomery Street. I read it in the basement of the Berkeley Public Library. <laughs> Time Magazine is always telling me about responsibility. <laughs> Businessmen are serious. Movie producers are serious. Everybody's serious but me. <laughs> it occurs to me that I am America. I am talking to myself again. <laughs> is rising against me. <laughs> I haven't got a Chinaman's chance. I had better consider all of my natural resources. My natural resources consist of two sticks of marijuana, millions of genitals, an atom bomb, and 2,500 mental institutions. <laughs> I say nothing about my prisons or the millions of underprivileged who live in my flower pot. I have very few bordellos, and that's all there is. I have abolished my whorehouses in France, and Tangiers is the next to go. My ambition is to be president despite the fact that I'm a Catholic. America, how can I write a holy litany in your silly mood? I will continue like Henry Ford. My strokes are as individual as his automobiles. More so, they're all different sexes. <laughs> America, I will sell you strokes at 2500 apiece, 500 down on your old strofe as trade-in, and the rest of your life is to pay. <laughs> America, free Tom Mooney. 
<laughs> America saved the Spanish loyalists. America, Sacco and Vanzetti must not die. <laughs> I am the Scottsboro Boys. You are! America, when I was seven, my mother took me to a communist cell meeting. They sold us bupkis, a handful per ticket, a ticket cost a nickel, and the speeches were free. Everybody was angelic and sentimental about the workers. It was all so sincere, you have no idea what a good thing the party was in 1835. Scott Nearing. <laughs> Scott Nearing was a grand old man, a real mensch. Mother Bloor made me cry. I once saw a Browder plane. Everybody must have been a spy. <laughs> America, you don't really want to go to war. America is some bad Russians. Them Russians, them Russians, and them Chinamen. And them Russians. <laughs> the Russians are power mad. But Russia wants to eat us alive. She wants to take our cars from out our garage. Her wants to take our factories. Her wants to corrupt our college girls. Her wants to put us all in slave labor camps. Her wants to emaciate us like skeletons. Her wants Malenko or Buganin or somebody to be our boss. Her wants to dictify us. Him big bureaucracy running our filling stations. That no good. Look. Who make Indians learn read? Ha! Him need niggers. Vote. Her make us all work 16 hours a day. Help! <laughs> America, this is quite serious. America, this is the impression I get from reading the newspaper. America, is this correct? I'd better get right down to the job. It's true, I don't want to join the army or turn lathes and precision parts factories on nearsighted and psychopathic anyway. America, I am putting my queer shoulder to the wheel.
Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Radio Mutiny Radio. Right here on the corner of 2781 21st Street, corner of Florida, in the very heart of the mission. This is Labor Radio. Radio Labor. Labor Radio. Labor and Love Radio. There, I got it right. And I'm the B. This show is by, for, and about working people. Hope you're enjoying a good Saturday morning on this Saturday before our big election. And who knows what's going to happen. There's never been an election like this, I suppose. Certainly not in recent history where a sizable number of people a sizable number of people who are running for office have adopted the tactic of saying that what you think is true is not true. Biden didn't win the election. No one, there's no proof that there was any kind of chicanery of any substantial kind. <clears throat> I think what happened is that <clears throat> There are a lot of people who see this as a way to further their their um, careers, which is to join the boat, get on the boat that says the what we think happened really didn't happen, that yes is no that freedom is slavery, that the truth is a lie, and a lie is the truth. It's happening. So when Etta James sings, yeah, you got to serve somebody when you go into that booth, or when you go to do whatever you do on election day, you're going to serve somebody. might be the magas, the, tr the trumpets, it might be the workers. It might be the Republicans, and it might be the Democrats, or it might be someone in between. America, as Allen Ginsberg said, America's trying to grow up. When are you going to grow up, America? When are you going to admit your slavery-based past and come to terms with it and turn around and look at your black and Latino brothers and sisters and say, yeah, in the past, white people wronged you. Yes, you built America. Yes, you grow the food that comes to our tables. Yes. And we want you to know that we love you. When will America do that? When will America come alive? Right now we're like the people in the Alabama moon, that, that first song by Bertolt Brecht and Kurt Vile. The Alabama moon. Well, we got to have whiskey or we'll die. 
We love our dear old mamas, but forget that. We got to go to the next bar and get drunker so we can tell this lie and live this lie. People, sincere people, got their guns and went to Washington and <laughs> now they want us to think that that didn't happen. No, that was just um, a tour that got out of hand. <laughs> uh, four people died, it got out of hand. Okay, so what do we got for you today besides me spilling off, you know? We've got campaign ads, and that's what we'll start out with. Campaign ads. Spooky campaign ads. Collected for us by our bituation connection, Francesca Fiorentini. Some, some stuff from the labor beat, specifically about the workers in Qatar. Golden Lands Working Hands, the 1920s. The 1920s are thought of as a big ballyhoo, a big party. Drinking, you know, back from World War I, the stupidest war in, up to then. There are a lot of stupid wars, and that was one of them. <clears throat> the way young men were sacrificed so that the, the powers that be, the generals, the politicians, the CEOs of big corporations could look good and make a profit and the young men died. But what was happening to workers that Birthday of Eugene Victor Debs, an American hero. Hope you know who Eugene Debs was, and if you don't, or you just know a little, listen up. New book shines light on migrant deaths ahead of Qatar World Cup. The World Cup's going to start on November 20th. What's been the human cost of Qatar? Oil-rich Qatar getting ready. Time to tap into labor's fortress of finance. This is an article by a guy named Chris Boner, or a woman named Chris Boner, about the money that the big labor unions have and uh, have not really used to organize. When people get up high in the uh, hierarchy of power, they don't want to spend the money. They want to have it. They don't want to spend it. All right, let's see if we can get some labor notes here. I'm having some problems with this. I'm sorry, not labor notes. Radio labor. Radio labor is uh, 
our World Labor Report. I also didn't mention that we're going to go through what's called the Pissed Off Voters Guide. And the Pissed Off Voters Guide is a compendium of a sort of a report for working people on which explaining the various propositions and uh, everything for people in simple language and then recommending who to vote for or who not to vote for. Well, we're not getting any action here from Radio Labor. Let's go to our... uh, Oh, and also Labor History in two minutes. All that and more. Let's do the spooky campaign ad. Labor history in two. What happened today? Okay. Murdered on the pier. America's first general strike. Looks like we're getting our radio labor, huh? Solidarity news. And Miles Davis to accompany us. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. This is a Radio Labor World Report recorded on Friday, November 4th, 2022. I'm Mark Boulanger. In the report this week, a special program on the UN Climate Change Conference, COP27. How education is key to confronting the climate crisis. The latest start report about union events and singing. Now global warming isn't you. The years you wasted were too plenty. You left the problem up to who? This is Radio Labour. Uh, this COP, we need less blah, 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 and more action and a response that is in proportion to the gravity of the climate crisis we are facing. That is Jennifer Ulrich. Ms. Ulrich is a research policy and advocacy coordinator for Education International. EI is the Global Union Federation, which represents more than 32 million teachers and other education workers in 172 countries. In the run-up to the 2022 United Nations Climate Change Conference, known as COP27, EI has been conducting a campaign entitled Teach for the Planet. The campaign emphasizes that if the world is to successfully confront the climate crisis, education is crucial. I spoke to Ms. Ulrich as she was preparing to attend COP27, which will be held in Egypt November 6th to 18th, 2022, I asked her about EI's Teach for the Planet campaign. We really believe the fight against climate change must have an education face and a teacher's voice in every area of the world. 
And the campaign has three core aims. The first aim is greater recognition of the role of education and research in the fight against climate change. So here we really want governments to include specific commitments to climate change education as part of their nationally determined contributions under the Paris Agreement. On this aim, we've been conducting research where we've analysed the new revised and updated nationally determined contributions of countries and we found that every country has failed to sufficiently include plans to deliver quality climate change education and actually only a third of countries at the moment mention education at all. However, over the past year since we've started a campaign, we have seen that some countries have updated their nationally determined contributions and they have actually improved their policy on education. So we really want this trend to continue and for education to be recognised as countries address the climate crisis and as a powerful tool for this. Second, we demand country commitments to ensuring quality climate change education for all. So we want governments to commit to the inclusion of climate change education in curricula, but also in teacher training and professional development opportunities. So we've been monitoring this as well. We have a survey which we conducted in collaboration with UNESCO. We surveyed 60,000 teachers globally, and the results showed that even though over 90% of the teachers responding said they were motivated to teach climate education. Only about 40% felt confident actually teaching it. So we found there's a big gap in terms of the professional development that teachers need to be able to, to teach for, for climate action. Thirdly, we are calling for a teacher-led approach to quality climate change education. So we want governments to recognise the leadership, the experience, the expertise of the profession and to work with education unions to develop and to implement climate change education. So we really believe that teacher involvement in the policy and curricular development is essential if the integration and implementation of climate change education is going to be successful. We're a global federation of education unions. So the campaign is carried out by EI at the global level, but our member organisations and um, education unions carry out the campaign in their national context as well. And through our climate network, we facilitate education unions from across the world to share their experiences and to exchange successful advocacy strategies as well on climate issues. So when we started the campaign, we published a manifesto, and this lays out the educators' um, vision for quality climate change education for all. And the manifesto argues that quality climate change education is transformative, it's based on science, and it fosters critical thinking and civic engagement. In the second year of the campaign now, we are also campaigning for a just transition in the education sector. So this means ensuring that uh, educators continue to enjoy their right to decent work as climate impacts intensify. So already our members are telling us that their members, the educators' working conditions are being affected by the climate crisis. We think it's really important that governments engage in social dialogue with, with education unions to then ensure that educators, their workplaces are safe, they have appropriate teaching and learning uh, conditions and the environments and that they have adequate social protection as well. So for us, the campaign is all about 
quality climate change education for all, a just transition and recognising that as educators are in fact on the front lines of the climate crisis, they're also key in, in the solution. COP27 will be held from November 6th to 18th, 2022. What are EI's hopes for the conference? What do you want to see happen? Education International and our member organizations will be in Egypt bringing the voice of educators to COP27. We want this COP to be the COP where governments finally wake up to the urgency of the climate crisis and make bold commitments to to decarbonize and to save our planet. The UN estimates that the world could be on track for 2.5 degrees warming by the end of the century. This really does mean catastrophic climate breakdown. So at this COP we need less blah, 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 and more action and a response that is in proportion to the gravity of the climate crisis we are facing. This means drastic cuts to carbon emissions. It also means countries who have contributed the most to the climate crisis need to take responsibility. So we also want to see funding for for loss and damage. On the education side, we're calling for all governments to commit to providing quality climate change education. Currently, about 50% of countries' education curricula include climate change. We need to change. We want this to be 100%. Last year at COP26, just over 20 countries made climate education commitments during an Education and Environment Ministers Summit. This year, countries have the opportunity to make commitments again, and we want more countries to do so. We are also calling for a just transition for all educators. Governments really must guarantee educators labour rights in the context of worsening climate impacts. We want to see improved employment conditions for educators, scaling up of social protection and, of course, supporting teachers' well-being too. And for us, we want to highlight too that climate justice goes hand in hand with human rights. So. Education unions demand the right to education, the right to decent work, but also the right to unionize, to organize, to protest for climate justice, to fight for a just transition, and also to protest for a sustainable future. We cannot be silencing activists if we want to achieve climate justice. You can find more information about EI's campaign, Teach for the Planet, on the union's website at ei-ie.org. Here with his report about union events is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. This week, our top story section included links to coverage of the Canadian union that risks $220 million in fines by backing a strike by education workers this Friday as they bargain to win wage increases that match the rate of inflation. We also carried stories about what unions are looking for at COP27 in Egypt and the bizarre dilemma facing Danish and Swedish trade unions as they confront the European Union's new minimum wage directive. For our Working Women page, our volunteers found news items about the labor movement's call for more government action to end gender-based violence in South Africa a Canadian union's innovative approach to making union events and actions safe for all workers, and how an Australian proposal for broader-based bargaining could help erode wage and other forms of gender inequality in the workplace. 
And, of course, our volunteers posted links to many stories about the annual Global Gender Pay Gap Report. A small sample of the stories appearing on our health and safety page in Newswire this week included items about an explosion at an Indian steel plant, a new Australian study that concludes that teaching is the occupation most at risk of workplace assaults resulting in injuries, and the ongoing International Federation of Journalists campaign against the impunity enjoyed by those who harass, assault, and murder journalists around the globe. We also had ongoing coverage of footballer union statements in solidarity with migrant workers in the run-up to the World Cup. Our current photo of the week is of workers celebrating the reinstatement of their union president after she had spent months out of work. She had been sacked by her employer, an Indonesian garment factory owner, for her union activism. Labor Start hosts online solidarity actions at the request of unions around the world. This week we'd like to highlight urgent appeals for online solidarity with trade union activists in Turkey, the Philippines, Canada, Myanmar, and Kazakhstan. If you can spare just a few seconds, you can do your part in these struggles by sending a solidarity message. Look for details of these and other campaigns on our site. This is Derek Blackadder from Labour Start, reporting for Radio Labour. Now here is Australia's Victorian Trade Union Choir with You Knew Grandpa, You Knew. It's more, and so it's not surprising. Surprising. 
that we can put the blame on you. You knew Grandpa, you knew Grandpa. So tell me what did you do? Tell me what you do. You knew Grandpa, you knew Grandpa. So tell me what did you do? You knew his home was not the future. Clean gas and oxymoron too. You had a lovely life to suit ya and never wanted to say whoa. You knew you really couldn't hack it to make the change when it was due. And now it's gonna cost a packet to fix what you neglected to. You knew Grandpa, you knew Grandpa. So tell me what did you do? Tell me what you do. You knew Grandpa, you knew Grandpa. So tell me what did you do? And that's it. Labor news you can use. You can listen to our daily newscasts and features at radiolabor.net. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about global solidarity. Okay, you knew, Grandpa, you knew. <laughs> And of course, we did know. We all knew. And what did we do? Who did you serve? They mentioned there the Qatar um, immigrant workers who basically built the uh, all the uh, stuff for the World Cup, the buildings, the stadiums, everything. And how were they treated? Here's a little video. Let's see what they have to say. How many workers died building the Qatar World Cup? Misinformation conceals the true scandal. Well, some people have said 20,000 workers died. And evidently, that many people did die, but... The uh, people who are looking closely at this, perhaps wanting to defend Qatar or FIFA, the World Soccer Organization, are saying that that many people might die anyway in a regular year, and it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell who who died, who of the workers died. And new book shines light on migrant deaths ahead of Qatar World Cup. This is a book that was translated from the French less than three weeks before the tournament kicks off. The Qatar World Cup remains shrouded in controversy largely due to the deaths of migrants constructing the stadium under dreadful conditions. Co-author of a new book detailing their plight. 
for Krishna Himislina, who worked for several years at construction sites for the World Cup. The conditions were hell on earth. Two guys wrote a book called The Oil Man's Slaves. Himislina said that with precarious living conditions, terrible water quality, and interminable shifts, we know our health is being damaged. But do we have a choice? So much of Qatar is being built thanks to our work. Stadiums, shopping malls, bridges, and roads are being constructed. But we're not invited to share in the dream. He recounted working at a frenetic pace, sometimes 18 hours a day in searing heat and powered by energy drinks. That's caffeine, y'all. Water of dubious quality, prefab housing without space or privacy, and most harrowingly, people dying from accidents or exhaustion. Going to Qatar, workers from developing countries like India, Pakistan, Nepal, Kenya, and Sudan are playing the Russian roulette of migration, Castellier said. They try their luck, knowing it's not absolutely certain that something terrible will happen to them. They're attracted by the high salaries, very high compared to the countries they come from. They see it as an economic opportunity that's worth the risks. Castellet and Muller gave a voice to many in their book, gathering 60 testimonies. Qatar hosts nearly 400,000 migrant workers, often in conditions of modern-day slavery. It's like disposable income, Castellier said. That's how migration to the Gulf states works. It's impossible for an immigrant to obtain local citizenship. So when they're no longer working, they have to leave. You could see how that happened during COVID when everything came to a standstill. But the Gulf nations are not the only ones befitting, benefiting from this system. 25%, 25% of Nepal's GDP, for example, is produced by remittances from people working abroad. Many such governments are happy to see their citizens working in Gulf states and even encourage them by organizing departures. Now all this is the kafala system. This is part. Kafala system is kind of a tradition, an exploitative system, a widely used system in the Gulf. A sponsor or kafil is assigned to each migrant often his or her employer. The system puts migrants at the mercy of their employers who often confiscate their passports upon arrival. So you're talking about indentured slaves. The kafala system gives the employer a lot of power over the employee. 
Everything is okay if the employer respects the rules. But if not, the employer's life can become a living hell. In an attempt to improve its image as controversy swirled around the 2022 World Cup, Qatar officially abolished the kafala system in 2016. Now you know how it is. This is a parenthetical expression here. You know how it is with these laws. These laws can be passed or unpassed at the administrative level, but still on the basic day-to-day level, the boss and the worker, they're still in effect. Many aspects of it are still in force, Castellier said. Most notably, an employee, an employer can say that a migrant working for them is a fugitive. So if a domestic worker, for example, wants to denounce abuses by their employer, the latter can just say that uh, they have absconded. And instead of looking into the worker's complaints, the police will just return them to their employer. Ah, you can't have slavery or wage slavery without police. In Qatar, there are perfectly good employers, but also nefarious ones, like every country. The problem is that in Qatar, the bad employers can do whatever they want. There's a sense of total impunity. Employers know that all they have to do is send the migrants back to their countries of origin and they'll never hear from them again. Migrants built a new airport, a railway system, and seven new stadiums. However, the human cost has been dreadful. Amnesty International said that more than 15,000 21 foreigners of all ages and occupations had died in Qatar between 2010 and 2019, while conceding that the causes of death were not clear. Parenthetical expression. This is what I was talking about. It's hard to see how many people would have died anyway in Qatar, but a 10-year period, 15,000 Foreign workers dying, pointing out something. A February 2021 investigation by The Guardian found that at least 6,751 migrant workers died in Qatar in those 10 years. But Castellier noted that the real number is likely much higher. These figures mainly come from Asian embassies in Qatar. We don't have the statistics for African workers there. Moreover, Castellier and Müller point out in their book that the Guardian's figure does not take into account workers who die after returning home. They point out that many such untimely deaths are due to kidney problems, following the consumption of unsafe water. An Amnesty International investigation found that at least 
6,751. Died in Qatar from 2010 to 2020 from drinking homemade alcohol and energy drinks as they struggled to keep up with a frantic workplace. Qatar's climate has a lot to do with the high mortality rate. It's just hell working in the construction industry in the summer. Qatar has been has banned working outdoors in the open from 10.30 to 3. Many violations have been reported. Lack of training can also be another cause of death. They put people who haven't been trained on huge, huge machines or on scaffolding, and they often have no idea about safety measures. So there are plenty of accidents, Castellier said. Qatar knows all this makes bad PR. It's perfectly aware that the stories about migrant workers are a problem. They're constantly trying to put forth a narrative that they're a modernizing country. Two journalists describe an atmosphere where journalists are discouraged from straying off course from organized press hours and reporting about deaths on construction sites. Personally know a woman who taught in Qatar for two years and uh, foreign workers, such as these teachers, were kept uh, very strict, just certain uh, very restricted areas of the capital city of uh, da- Doha. They had their own uh, apartment buildings. They were driven by limousine back and forth from work. There was a very small bar scene, but it was strictly within the uh, foreign workers' part so as not to uh, quote-unquote pollute the uh, Native people. Qatar has lifted a ban on workers changing employers and has introduced a monthly wage of a thousand reals, about $280. The Qatari government says it has done more than any other country in the region to improve conditions for migrant workers and strongly rejects media and workers' groups' reports of thousands of deaths on construction sites. Qatar has implemented reforms, but it has done so quite late, so we will only know how significant they are after the World Cup, Castillier said. They are not sincere. They risk backsliding on the treatment of migrant workers after the media's attention goes elsewhere. So, uh, that's on um, World Cup. It's on France 24, entitled Just Hell. New, new book shines light on migrant deaths ahead of Qatar. We could do... Uh, 
lot more about this story. And the World Cup isn't scheduled to start till um, November 20th. And of course, all the sports channels now are selling, 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 selling soccer, what we call soccer, what the world calls football, to uh, mainline audiences here in the United States. All right, how about some music here? Nina Simone. Sung by Lead Belly, and it was written for his friend. He had a friend named Blind Lemon, and they used to ride back and forth on a train from somewhere to Texas. I learned this tune from a record I heard by him. Silver City Bound I'm Silver City Bound I'm gonna tell my little baby I'm Silver City Bound I'm gonna meet Blind Lemon Gonna ride Silver City Bound I'm Silver City Bound I'm gonna tell my little baby I'm Silver City Bound I'm gonna be blind lemon Gonna ride on down Take me by the hand Silver City Bound 
tell my little baby I'm Silver City bound I'm gonna be blind resurrecting it one century later keep our feet fixed on the past in order to stay rooted in our minds eye on tomorrow so that today we get through this so that one day we're victorious so just gather now come near divisions are created by those who doubt and fear we give thanks to all the workers who put it all on the line those who took it to the streets moving crowds with conscious rhymes those who gave their lives give thanks to those who made lost loss only work for those who make them not break them be patient the best way to protect your rights is by always knowing your rights without our brain and muscle not a single wheel can turn so put your hands together 
umbrella. It's time for unity, solidarity forever. Ah. Your money's being hoarded and the people are unsupported. Social welfare's been aborted, labor crimes go unreported. When we try to fight back, it seems we can't afford it. We try to be united, but they're implementing laws that are keeping us divided. They're commodifying labor, then they're bidding for the lowest. They're thinking that it's clever, but we know it's something better. Solidarity forever. Now jobs are disappearing and all we're ever hearing is pay a lot more, get paid a little less. Work a little harder than work a little longer But we're taking it no longer We're decided we're uniting Cause together we are stronger The unions got our back CBAs, protections, better wages, a fact So we're making our choice And we're making some noise We're walking with poise And we're raising our voice We're singing of Solidarity Forever was produced by the United Food and Commercial Workers Union, the UFCW. Thank you for listening. And remember, it's all about caring for each other through global solidarity. Okay, we had you knew, Grandpa, you knew... We had um, Solidarity Forever. We had Nina Simone singing uh, one of Leadbelly's songs about going to Silver City. Was it Silver City? Nina Simone, uh, early Nina Simone. Okay, so let's take a listen now to
All right, little Miles Davis there <clears throat> from uh, Kind of Blue. Let's take a look now at our uh, election stuff. And Francesca Fiorentini, Labor History. And Francesca Fiorentini focus in, focuses in on some weird uh, campaign messages, spooky campaigns. See if we can get that up. <clears throat> So far, nothing. Not really anything happened. Let's see what else. <clears throat> We've got uh, <clears throat> the pissed off voters guide. And We'll have to wait till bituation room comes up. At any rate, Pissed Off Voter's Guide is basically a working people's look at elections. <clears throat> and every year now, for several years, uh, they published this guide. Voters. Let's look at what the propositions are and what their position is on it. So starting with the state office's state proposition. Proposition 1. Protect abortion. Ballot measure would defend access to abortion and contraception by ensuring it in the California Constitution. So Prop 1, yes. And the reason is women need to have control over their own bodies. And if that's not enough for you, well, I hope it's enough. Prop 26, yes has been a controversial one. Legalized sports betting in tribal casinos. And uh, this would extend the right uh, to smaller tribes, tribes that don't really have much representation now. Prop 27, legalized mobile sports betting. They say no. And I'm wondering, um, can people bet responsibly? Good question. Should the state be telling you, you know, that you can or cannot 
debt. Of course, the big casinos say no. Should have your own right, but states should do something to protect people from themselves. In this case, they're saying vote no. 28, fund K-12 art and music education. Yes. Art and music are the first to go when funds are cut. They were even cutting out sports a while ago. Um, in essence, the reasons kids would go to school, aside from their friends, art, music, and Prop 29, dialysis clinic regulation. Ah, this is now every time this one comes up, this is put up by SEIU to stabilize their jobs, to um, give them breaks, lunch breaks, to bring a lot of the practices of dialysis clinics under some kind of regulation and of course you'll get every every year this comes up you get the, the dialysis patient saying oh this will close dialysis clinics well it might if dialysis clinics have to toe the line and and bring some kind of regulation uh, and minimum care they might have to close, yes. So the dialysis patients don't get into that part of it. And of course, the, all the dialysis patients who you'll see on the commercial are... Maybe it's true. Maybe that would close dialysis. But it would certainly bring them under some kind of standardization. Help the workers who work there. So this is the thing that Commercials don't say the workers will be doing better, and that affects directly the patients. Yes, tax the rich for climate change. Yes, ban on flavored tobacco. Let's see what one is on climate change. Prop 30 would tax Californians who make more than $2 million a year. So right there, there's a, <laughs> a bunch of people who will fight it, a bunch of people with money, and use that revenue to fund electric vehicle infrastructure, EV rebates for consumers, and wildfire protection. All good stuff, they say, considering, you know, the horrifying climate apocalypse we descend further into with every passing moment. We have strange bedfellows on this one. Lyft is bankrolling Prop 30 because it will help them with their state-mandated transition to EVs. We don't love it when mega corporations trick taxpayers into funding their compliance. But in a fight between the ultra-wealthy and the super-ultra-wealthy, we won't be shedding tears for either side. Like electric vehicles themselves, this proposition isn't perfect, but it's a step in the right direction. 
hope this is the first of many climate solutions funded by taxing gazillionaires. Yes, on Prop 30. Okay, let's see. For governor, they don't endorse anyone. They don't like uh, Newsom working with the uh, well-to-do, the rich, the business people. Lieutenant governor, no endorsement. Secretary of State, Shirley Weber. And let's see if we got something on Shirley Weber. No. Have to look her up. Um, controller, no endorsement. Treasurer, no endorsement. Attorney General Rob Bonta. No endorsement for commer- insurance commissioner. Board of Equalization District 2, Sally Lieber, U.S. Senator Alex Padilla. And let me caution you, you got to vote twice for Padilla. One to finish out the Kamala Harris uh, six-year six year service, and one to appoint him as the her successor. So, David Canepa for District 15, District 11, no endorsement. That would be Pelosi's seat, I think. State Assembly, uh, 17 and 19, no endorsement. Yes to all in the judicial races. Supreme Court judges, yes to all. Appeals Court judges, yes to all. Superintendent of Public Instruction, Tony Thurman. Thurman has had uh, some blowback because of his style of bossing everybody around, I guess. But he, he is progressive. He does support teachers and he does support more money for schools and making sure it gets down to the level of students. Board of Education, Alita Fisher, Karen Fleischman, Fleischman, Gabriela Lopez. If we've learned anything from the last few years of school board drama, it's that the SFSUD needs leaders who will prioritize students over politics. Fight for equity within a complex and underfunded system and play well with others. Lita Fisher, a super involved mom of four SFUSD students, fierce advocate for racial equality. Karen Fleshman, SFUSD parent, extensive background in anti racist training. Gabriela Lopez, a bilingual classroom teacher. It's always good to have a teacher on the board of ed, or as many teachers as you can, because teachers deal with, teachers have to make sure the policies are adopted and work for everybody. Okay. 
County races. Supervisor four, Gordon Marr. District six, Honey Mahogany and Sherelle Jackson. If it's can vote for two. District eight, District ten is Shannon Shannon Walton. Um, Community College Board, four-year term. Vic Chun, Anita Martinez, and Susan Solomon, who I know uh, personally and can recommend heartily. Susan Solomon. Rodolfo Vasquez. Student and counselor at City College. Educator, supported low-income students as chair of education opportunities. Anita Martinez, for decades at City College as a teacher, dean, vice challenger, and even president of the faculty union, taught her how to balance budgets without handing students an overworked faculty the short end of the stick Strong leader to grow enrollment and restore programs. Okay, uh, local propositions. We'll just run them down. Retiree supplemental cost of living adjustment. Yes, this affects uh, a small, a limited number of people who, because of a quirk in the elections in 2011, have been denied their. Uh, their full retirement pay. Sanitation and street public works reorganization. Basically, this will just create another board to overlook to overlook the work of uh, sanitation department, Prop B. Prop C, establish Homelessness Oversight Commission. Okay. Over the, there are 60,000 units in San Francisco that are not up for rent. And real estate people love this because it drives up the prices of other units. D, hell no. Prop D has devilish details. The real estate investors who put this on the ballot by paying a million dollars to gather signatures have one goal. Use public money to build market rate housing for single rich people with no municipal or environmental oversight. D, would double down NSF de facto policy of overbuilding luxury housing. We've seen the failure of this approach over the past decade. Astronomical rents, increased displacement, and hopelessness. Prop E, uh, streams approval for educated 
educator housing as well as affordable housing with labor protections such as prevailing wage, wage and union labor. The Board of Supervisors put this on the ballot with support from affordable housing developers and the building trade union. We're going to streamline housing. We shouldn't just reward luxury projects. Hell yes on Prop E. Uh, F, library preservation. Yes, they say vote yes. Um, student success fund, Prop G is a yes. Oh, yes, here we go. Prop G is a charter amendment that would direct $60 million per year to SF schools through a grants program. Prop G would redirect some of it to our schools, the city's general fund. SF generates more property tax money for the state than it allocates back to us for our schools. DA refunds us the extra dough, but it flows into the city's general fund. We also like State Prop 28. I already mentioned that about music and art education. <clears throat> H would change elections to even-numbered years. Some people argue that that would overload people with uh, election materials and decisions. But most people like the idea. It'll save money. Let's college parcel. We have a G, student success fund, prop H, prop H, renew half cent sales tax for transit, that's an L, H is a yes as far as the uh, pissed off voters are. JFK Drive, I and J. Like everyone else in San Francisco, the league had big feats about props I and J competing members about the Great Highway and JFK Drive, which would partially close the car traffic during the pandemic. Does Prop J establish adequate measures to improve muni service, shuttles, and disabled parking? What finally swayed us to know on J, though, was the damage it would do to the city's sensible plan to address sea level rise and sandstorm. 
by closing the slowed extension, removing coastal armoring, and restoring habitat. <clears throat> Prop I passes. It would pour huge amounts of money into bad infrastructure. No position on J. Okay. J. No position. Because we value car-free spaces, but also want to see more thoughtful solutions to JFK Drive and Golden Gate Park, we have no position on J. We do support Yes on N, city parking for the Golden Gate Parking Garage, so that it can be an option for low-cost accessible parking when an equitable closure plan is finally drawn up. Half percent sales tax for tax for transit put on the ballot by the soups would extend the existing half cent sales tax for another thirty years to fund the city's transportation expenditure plan. Plan strives for a more equitable, accessible transit system, prioritizing projects that serve transit-dependent and low-income communities. Money for Muni and Ferry, paratransit, and traffic calming, and it doesn't give a dime to Uber. Okay. Oh, public defender Manu Raju, District Attorney John Hamas Hamasaki, um, Prop I, JFK, we got that. Empty homes tax, Prop M. This addresses the empty houses. Why is rent so damn high? Must be a sh housing shortage, right? But it turns out that there are close to 60,000 empty homes in San Francisco. Prop M targets the large corporate landlords and investment firms that try to drive up prices by keeping units off the market. It applies only to buildings of three units or more and proposes that large landlords leave these units vacant if they leave them vacant for at least half a year, they'll be charged 2500 to 5000 annually for each unit, depending on size. The amount doubles each year for as long as a speculator leaves the home vacant. All proceeds would fund affordable housing and rent subsidies. If they let the League of Pissed Off Voters write Proposition, this is the shit we come up with. Hell yes on Prop M. 
City College uh, Tax. <clears throat> That's Prop O. D G. Hell yes. City College is an essential resource for youth and working people who want to advance academically or vocationally. And it's free. But it's also in dire financial straits, so no new state and federal aid forthcoming. Prop O would make up for the current shortfall and raise $45 million via a parcel tax through mid-2043. If passed, PROPO will fund essential programs like nursing, workforce development, and ESL classes. Hell yes on PROPO. Okay. For district attorney, they're uh, not like anybody but Brooke Jenkins. Jenkins now has to handle that case of uh, Paul Pelosi. What an amazing thing. Cynical way that was treated. People suggesting first that the young man who whacked Pelosi over the head with a hammer was actually an invited male lover. Um... Others saying that it was invented. That there are all these things about it that might be suspicious. There was glass on the outside. Amateur Sherlock Holmes.
blood on the leaves and blood at the root black bodies swinging in the southern breeze strange fruit hanging from the poplar trees
Okay, that was Billie Holiday, of course, those last two famous ones. Strange Fruit about uh, lynched black men hanging from trees. Strange Fruit in 1939. And then God Bless the Child That's Got His Own. Very nice arrangement there. Before that, we had Edward Kennedy Ellington and his band with It Don't Mean a Thing If It Ain't Got That Swing. Here, here. All right. Eugene Debs not getting any labor and love radio <laughs> work life balance is at the center of this dispute Alabama West Rock paper. This is the one I wanted to reiterate this one because this one shows that the labor movement is not just about money. But workers, as well as anyone, probably better than most, understand that quality of life is important. Alabama paper mill hangers want their lives back and they're getting up to 30 they're giving up $30,000 to get it Five hundred union members from three united steel workers locals at West Rocks Mart Mill Paper Mill in Cottonton Alabama voted to reject a second contract offer from the company Jacob Morrison recently reported for the Real News Network. The refusal to ratify West Rock's last, best, and final offer came as a result of the company insisting on removing contract language pertaining to what the workers there called penalties 
for long hours. Members resoundingly rejected the contract, even though it included an unheard of $28,000 ratification bonus increase from an already staggering offer of $20,000, which workers already rejected on September 21st. Workers at West Rock's Mart Mill Paper Mill have been locked out by the company since early October and say they can't be bought off with bonuses for signing a contract that will ensure they have an even less time for life outside of work. And this, so the point is that quality of life is at least as important as money. I mean, you're turning down $28,000 how can that be? <laughs> Most of us could do a lot with $28,000 all at once, huh? But yet and still they're turning it down because they want to spend more time with their families. They want to spend more time on their own. And I want to finish with this one. It'll play. Having trouble today with uh, with YouTube. Okay, this is the B, and it's time to sign off. With Kaori Miraji, the uh, Japanese guitarist. Mm, let's Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're on the ballot. You're on the menu. People are making decisions about your life and your time. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Stay tuned, hang in there for Scott Walker coming right up with flat black plastic. This is the B week, wishing you a good week and good work. 
If we all do the work together, it'll all happen. Seventy-five years, movies are liberated, and of course, they're on YouTube. So we are going to watch a movie today uh, in the public domain, and we are on Mutiny Radio, Carl, uh, every Sunday at two p.m. We are also uh, available as a podcast.
up like plastic mutiny radio. Dot FM.